Welcome along, Emma's gone. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> a small child at the door, and I'm like, are you there? <laughs> Welcome along to the Cut to the Race podcast. It is the end of the season, but we have some news for you, don't we? Go on, you say it. Say what? Alexander. Oh, for f***. <laughs> 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 Welcome along. It's lights out and away we go! Welcome along to the Cut to the Race podcast. Um, today with us we have Callum. How are you? Hello, hello. I'm I'm mint. I just had a day with Karun Chandok yesterday. Name so, drop. So did I. I was there. I was there. I was there. Uh, Emma, how are you? You're back. How was your house move? Very stressful, but I'm here. I now have Wi-Fi. Two weeks without Wi-Fi has Ooh, been the most stressful thing in my whole life, but I'm back. So looking forward to it. Good, good, good. And we have Matt. How are you, sir? I'm still nursing my coffee as it's quite early, but I'm glad to be here. <laughs> it is. We're, we're recording at one o'clock, which is normally we have to wait till a Sunday, till the race is finished. And God, that was going into the 8, 8 p.m.s on Sundays. Now it's Saturday and it's uh, really inconvenient for Matt for a change. So um, I'm we, catching my due. Yeah, my comeuppance. Yeah, exactly. I'm loving it. You drink that coffee, brother. Um, well, I think we have to say that there's been a, an announcement that I, I did predict all year long. Um, Emma, what was it? That Albon is no longer a Red Bull racing driver. He is now their test and reserve driver for the 2021 season. And Sergio Perez, man of the moment, Yay! has got his seat well-deserved, well-deserved. Yes. Now, uh, uh, Callum, when we were driving down to um, to meet Karun Chandok yesterday, um, you you thought that you had your strategy panned out. You had listened back to our last podcast and you thought, Ollie, you actually said to me in the car. Sorry, I, I didn't warn you I was going to say this. Uh, but you said, Ollie, mate, that was a bit of genius podcasting that was, didn't you? Didn't you say that, Cal? I did say that, yeah. I was blowing <laughs> my own trumpet. I said that Perez would be the reserve driver and Albon would stay in the car. But you were wrong. I was very wrong. Um, interestingly, Verstappen's just, he's already come out and said what he thinks about it. He says, it will be an easier fight to Mercedes now with Perez aboard. Ooh, low blow. Low blow on day one, isn't it? Oh, kicking a man I, I while he's down. I agree with that, though. Yeah, like, I agree I think, with it, but still, the day after, you don't just go and kick him in the face. Yeah, it is a bit harsh. But I, I completely agree with it. I, I don't think Red Bull could have afforded another season with Verstappen and Albon partnering each other, trying to fight Mercedes. They needed some fresh blood maybe not some younger blood but definitely some fresh blood into the team with a bit more experience to take the challenge to mercedes they definitely lacked a uh, higher quality rear gunner and we all know max is not known for his tact if you ask him a question you're going to get max's answer not something that's been coached at all yeah man and interestingly hamilton said perez will make red bull stronger so you know those two those two are quite in sync and um, horner said what I said, funny that, he said, um, we had to trust the facts opposed to the emotion. Facts don't lie, do they? Unfortunately not. I'm not happy about this. You're not I'm happy. Really Cal, not. No. Cal, I'm just going to sit back for a minute and let you say what you're thinking, because I can see it building up. 
I think they should have given him another chance. I really do. They, they've constantly, throughout the years, dropped driver after driver after driver. I wonder what would happen if they just gave another one another chance and, and go from there. Because he needs to get used to the car. You've got raw talent in, in Max Verstappen. He's going to get in any car on any racetrack and be fast. Alex Albon isn't that driver. But they, he can be coached into it. He's got potential. Cal, if you had put, think it's unfair. If you'd put all your pocket money, right, at the end of the month into a team and you could choose to have Albon or Perez, which one would you have if it was all your money? Albon. Really? Ooh. I would, yeah. I would. If I was thinking about the future, yeah. Well, when we start our Formula Nerds race team, you're not going to be the uh, the man in charge, I'll tell you that much. Uh, I'm only joking. We'll see what happens. You know, it's um, what will be will be over the year. Um, does anyone else have anything to say on this? Now, the, the, the topic of pretty much the entire season has been closed and resolved. I think they thought it through a lot better than I thought they were going to. Uh, I honestly hadn't considered... Uh, Albon being the reserve driver, I was kind of leaning more towards him taking Kvyatsi, even though that was discussed as it progressed that it wouldn't happen. Uh, I also thought Sonoda uh, would have been the reserve for Red Bull as he's done so well in F2. And I just I didn't think at all about if you're being demoted from the Red Bull team, stay on the Red Bull team as the test reserve driver. It is, it's a sneakily genius move, and it kind of helps take off the sting if you're Alex Albon a bit. But at the end of the day, you just have to get the seat to Checo, in my opinion, if I was running the whole show. Yeah, I, I think it must have. When you're talking about taking the sting off it, I think the sting was pretty big no matter what happened for Albon. I, I do. I know we joke about it, but I do feel gutted for him. That's got to really, really hurt. Um, but we'll see how Perez does because Perez might have the same same outcome as all the other number two drivers at Red Bull. Who knows? I don't think he will, but... Um, we will see. There's only one seat that isn't confirmed now for next year. I wonder I wonder who that could be. Who's that? This bloke called uh, Schumacher. Luis. Luis? <laughs> Luis, uh, Luis, yeah. Luis Hamilton? Nah. Yeah. yeah. Never heard of him. I think it's kind of obnoxious the way they have kept us in quote-unquote suspense this year when the F1 world is a hell knew what was happening. We didn't know about the decision between Albon and Checo. I grant you that. But we all knew about Schumacher. We all had inklings about Mazepan. We had the inklings about Sonoda. He's a seven-time world champion. You're not going to let him walk. Just sign the paperwork, get it over with, rip the band-aid, and let's move on as a world. We actually had a chat with Karun yesterday off the off the recording about this Toto Wolf. Um what's the word I'm looking for? Total Wolf contract. And we said, do you think it was to do with Hamilton not signing? Do you think they made Toto sign to go forward? He, th- he thinks it was two separate things. He thinks it was two separate deals, but I can't help but think that with Toto Wolf leaving, Hamilton was thinking, do we really want to stay? Is it going to change? Are we going to start losing? But now Toto's signed. He's obviously going to sign anyway. But we did wonder whether that would be a... a, a sticking point for Hamilton. So the the latest news on this says that Hamilton could wait till the eve of testing to announce the contract. Like, Emma, what, enlighten me. Why, why, 
what's the what's the point of that? There's only one seat left for the year. I mean, Hamilton could probably replace any single one of them if he wanted to, but it's almost inevitable. Why are we why are we waiting? Well, I think partly is because he is Lewis, Lewis Hamilton. He is a seven-time world champion. He can do what he wants, really. But I think with so much speculation about Hamilton's future in the sport, I think he's really trying to get down to the the finer details. There are a lot of changes in Formula One over the next couple of years, especially with 2022. We've got the budget caps. I think he's really trying to get into the finer details of his contract and what it means for his future in Formula One because there has been so much speculation about whether he's going to retire or not. And, and it must be down to money to some, to some aspect, of, obviously, especially due to the, the, the COVID situation around the world. I would have just thought he signs a one-year one year deal and then worries about this next year, personally. Uh, you know, just get it over the line. Matt, what do you reckon? I honestly don't understand why Total Wolf becoming a third owner is such a big topic of discussion. Uh, because if I remember correctly, he was already 25 or 30% shareholder uh, having purchased from Daimler. So to become a third owner from 30% to 33% is nothing. Uh, what happened, I believe, is he purchased some of Daimler's shares and Ineos came in and, like Callum's talking about, purchased the other third to take some of that burden off of Mercedes because they were even in talks earlier in the year about they may not want to go forward in F1. But I don't think they're connected because... That power structure of Total Wolf wielding decision-making ability and kind of having some control over the outcome was already in place. So it's not really a, a big departure from the already established norm. I think it's just, you know, Lewis doing his due diligence and wanting to take some time to go, <laughs> I'm a seven-time world champion, and then go do whatever a seven-time world champion does to decompress. So like you said, Ineos uh, becomes a Mercedes shareholder. We were actually in the area yesterday and it was chaos at Mercedes, wasn't it, Callum? It was, it was like they were having a big party. Well, they probably It's like they, they went round to every house in Brackley and give, gave every single man a Mercedes jacket. And it, it literally... Because everyone we saw was in a Mercedes jacket, the same jacket. It was so weird. And it's normally like that in Brackley anyway, but it was, it was, it was more than usual. I just imagine Total Wolf as Ebenezer Scrooge, where he's handing out turkeys at the end of a Christmas carol, just going through and handing out Mercedes jackets to everybody. Come here, Tiny Tim, have a free Mercedes jacket. Well, we stood there for a little while and didn't get one, so... Uh, <laughs> um, God so the bless Patronus, everyone. What I want to know is, why didn't you just make a bit of a day of it and maybe travel down to Milton Keynes and go to the Red Bull factory and get a picture outside of there? That's not far off. Well, because... Um, we were having such good fun with Karun, but also um, it got dark at about 3.15 yesterday, didn't it, Cal? So it was yeah. like, oh, oh, I'm a bit tired now. Oh, we better get home. And um, so we did. Um, but we are going to play you the interview with Karun in a little bit. Um, we'll do it after the news. How about that? So there's also uh, a little thing that's come out from Horner saying that Hulkenberg was never really in the running for a seat at Red Bull after all of this. Um, Matt, what, what was that all with Vettel as well? Well, you know, I find that kind of shocking because Hulkenberg came in as this quote-unquote super sub when Checo fell ill with COVID at Silverstone, which, you know, we all were rooting hard as an F1 world for him to do something with it, and it was great to see him back. However, uh, they announced that he wasn't going to have or assuming that Checo was not going to have the seat shortly thereafter. And there was that period of uncertainty where we didn't know where Seb was going to be landing. 
And it took about three weeks until the beginning of September, I believe, where they announced he was going to Racing Point. So the fact that Hulkenberg's out there in the breeze, wide open, because we thought Check was still going to be there, uh, I'm surprised at that. Uh, I understand once Checo became available, why you would write Nico Hulkenberg off, but to never even look at him or give him a, a consideration is a little bit shocking to me. Do you think that Hulkenberg was ever an option for Racing Point before they had talks with Vettel? Because obviously he was their super sub. You'd think that he'd be first in line. The relationship's there. Yeah, I think he would have been. And then once you know the dominoes all fell where they did, I understand the decision. Uh, I'm glad it worked out the way it did for Checo and Seb. I'm gutted for Hulkenberg because I think there's this weird expectation. When Nico Hulkenberg came in with all the credentials he had, we expected him to be a world champion of the future. And while some of that is due to the teams he was with and not delivering, I don't think it rests squarely on the teams. At times, Nico Hulkenberg has fallen short. Uh, so with the need at Red Bull for a more experienced and more successful rear gunner or quote-unquote number two to Max Verstappen, I can understand the decision to go with Checo over Nico Hulkenberg. With Racing Point, though, as a said man, you know, I want to say, he's a four-time world champion. He's done great. Blah, blah, blah. This year, he was still outperformed by Nico Hulkenberg, and Nico was only in a couple of races. So I think there's just the name brand draw with Seb over Nico in spite of the relationship he's already built with Racing Point. I agree with that, Matt. Good point. Good point, certainly. Um, in other news, um, Formula One has developed a 100% sustainable fuel. Now, I've, I've read about this a little bit and I keep nodding off, but one bit I did want to understand was what is it? And it's made out of bio-waste. Now, I'm not no nice. sort of engineer or technician, but that doesn't smell good to me. Nice. So when we go to the races, are we just going to smell sewage? I just imagine somebody dumping a diaper into an F1 car. Yeah. That's <laughs> what Ollie's seeing. <laughs> Can you imagine, instead of the, 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 the smell of burning rubber, you've got burning shit. A septic shit. tank truck. <laughs> do, do it, does anyone know about biofuels at all on this panel? Not a clue. No. The only bio I'm picturing fuels. now is a hundred portaloos in a line with pipes coming out the back. Are they going to have plenty of <laughs> the carriages? <laughs> yeah. That's how they're doing their zero carbon emission. They're actually just running pipes from the portajons at the track to the actual pits where they create the fuel. I can tell you uh, now, Silverstone would highly benefit from that. If for anyone that's ever been <laughs> camping there, whoo, by the end of Sunday, oh, Jesus, you, know, you need a race to my burn that off. With my background as a mechanic, I understand a little bit about alternative fuels, but basically on the repair and engine performance side, uh, you know, with uh, compressed natural gas, you have to run much higher fuel to air mixtures. As for the creation of the biofuels, I do not. But you know what? Let a fat boy do some research and I will have a more in-depth and informed answer for you next go around. Well, I think you've got till, by the looks of it, again, it's a bit blurry, but I think you've got until 2026 to explain this one. Um, that looks like when they want to introduce it um, with the new engines. Um, but F1 do have a uh, commitment to be a zero carbon sport by the end of 2030, which yeah. is a slight distance from where we were with screaming V10s in Abu Dhabi, wasn't it? It's a lot of portaloos to empty in that time there as well, isn't it? So <laughs> probably, probably the reason for the... The big gap. Yeah, we're going to need fans back quick time to races for this to work. Yeah, they, that's that's what they say this. 
we wouldn't be here without you. It's literally they wouldn't be able to run without us because yeah. we're supplying the fuel. Without COVID, that would be 2023. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They'd be well on their way to stocking up. Anyway, this is a ridiculous conversation. They'll have fuel reserves in Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's an interesting thing. We'll um, we'll find out more about it and let you know as we do. Um St. Paolo's back. Yes. For five years, they have re-signed. I think we knew this was going to happen, but we all skipped, our hearts skipped a beat for a minute when they mentioned that we might be leaving there. We did a vote on this, actually, while I remember. Just let me get the, uh, the actual vote up. But I know that 7,500 voted. And I know it was like 99% of people voted that it mm. was the best decision for well, Sao Paulo to remain. It was ridiculous. Well, look at the conversation we just had. We were talking about their uh, decision or statement to become zero carbon emission. They're like, we're going to be zero carbon emission. Let's go chop down some rainforest. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Oh, dear. So 7,500 voted. 7,300 voted to say, yes, Sao Paulo is the best decision. Only 128 said no. <laughs> 128 people said no. Yeah. Right. Get, write their they're names down and move they're, 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 they're already gone. They're already gone. Those who voted to leave Sao Paulo have been sacked. They shouldn't be here. No. I don't know who they are, but they're taking the boop. Um, okay. Um, Gunther, our good friend, um, is not going to publicly address the Mazipin issue. Oh, gutted. Yeah. I was so looking forward to that. I think we're just expecting a behind-the-scenes video of a Royal Rumble in the offices at Haas. Many, many doors would have died that day. But, you know, I'm glad they came to a conclusion. Many office doors would have been smashed. Well, if Mazapan got... Mazapan, however you pronounce his name, is in trouble for posting a video, it's not really fair to expect Gunther to then post a video of him absolutely throttling him in his office. So I just... I have mixed feelings on this. I understand the same way we as the nerds on our socials have realized it's a very, very, very difficult subject to keep people respectful and above board on. So I think it's a kind of, you know, cutting off the less than desirable comments at the pass. But in the end, there's no criminal proceedings. Uh, It's it's dicey. They are relying upon his daddy's money. They've already signed the contract. The F1 world will hate them even more if they don't do enough in our eyes. So it's about, we're handling it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We got this. Don't, don't worry about it. All has cared about is the funds. That is mm-hmm. literally it. And I I kind of hope that they're they're taking the time to make the decision so that they can look deeper into Mazpin's contract. Because I'm sure somewhere in the deepest, darkest depths of the small print, there might be a way to be able to keep his money but boot him out of the team or it might be giving them a bit more time to try and find another backer because if you actually look on social media and you see the reaction to what's happened from Formula One fans, they are absolutely disgusted that Haas could seriously be considering keeping him in the team and I think Formula One are going to have a huge backlash if Mazepin is kept to be able to race next year. Here's a fun little fact for everybody to do a little bit of homework. There is an F1 code of conduct, AKA a code of ethics. Section 20 addresses harassment and bullying. There's also a section that talks about what happens if you breach that code of conduct, uh, code of conduct. I mean, it, it's all there. 
they talk about, which it's not the same as bullying. It's a much, much darker uh, realm it goes into, and I will not be going down that. But basically the code of conduct for F1 states, you can't be a dirtbag. Full stop. And no matter how you slice and dice it, no matter how Haas try to spin it, no matter what the relationship is with the woman in the back of that car, dirtbag. No. Mm. Yeah. That, interestingly, um, we, we were quite we were quite sensitive on how we spoke about it last week. But our friends over at the GP podcast they they have they will they have committed now not to mention his name throughout the whole of next season. He is just the driver of car. I think it's seven. Um, I completely agree. I am going I like to that. pledge right now that if he has a drive, I am not going to write about him next year. I am not going to mention his name in any of my articles. I am not going to mention his name on any podcasts. And I'm not going to write about him. So if he spectacularly wins a race for whatever reason... We're not doing a show. He's not getting a mention. <laughs> yeah. He's not getting a mention. And I'm pledging that right now. I am not putting his name across any of my articles. Okay. Um, Callum, what's the latest from sort of our Facebook community on this? Well, the people have spoken. And a lot of them have spoken. So... 35,000 people spoke and an astounding 32,900 people out of 35,000 said he should not keep his job. That kind of reestablishes my faith in humanity with our nerds. It's annoyed a lot of people and he should not keep his drive. The people have spoken. That has reestablished my faith in the nerds community that is growing every day like you're always going to have the unsavory types and the people who are the internet trolls just want to stir up some drama. But at the end of the day, you know, good on you, nerds. Like, we're all in agreement. So all in favor of striking whatever his number is from the record going forward. The eyes have it. Never to be heard from again. He's yeah. dead to us. Yeah. And and I, I thought that it was going to be more of a sensitive subject than this, but it wasn't. The F1 community have ripped this guy to shreds. So I think we now have permission to do the same. It's rightly so, though, as well. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not acceptable it's in not. any sport, it's in not. any sport, in real life, in celebrity world, whatever. It's not acceptable. So why I'm should it be acceptable be, for him to do it? I'm going to be interested to see how the media respond to him in the paddock next year. Like, mm. you know, just through interviews, that sort of thing, you know, because even very prolific people in the F1 world, pundits, journalists they are all in agreement that he should not have a drive so i i honestly i'm quite i'm quite intrigued to see what happens yeah okay well um talking of f1 pundits and journalists um we met up with karun yesterday um for I wonder a who chat. it's gonna be um <laughs> and we only did have a quick chat with him because it was absolutely freezing and we had to stand outside and do this but um cal caught up with karun here we are So we're here at the Formula Model Shop in Brackley with Karun Chandok. Hello Karun, how are you? Good, good to see you. Uh, cold, but you know. Ollie's like behind the camera, he's not abandoned me in Brackley. Um, I just wanted to ask you a few questions about what you thought of the season just gone, mm. obviously with the pandemic and everything. How did you find travelling around in the bubble? How, how was that for you? Uh, it was weird, I won't lie about it, but you know, I think F1 did a mega job, really. You know, they... Uh, the, you know, we had charter flights a lot of the races when we landed we were you know 
really transferring in a bubble. If you landed, you got on a bus where the driver was tested, you, you were taken to a hotel where all the staff were tested. Yeah. We weren't allowed to eat in the restaurants and places like that. I mean, honestly, the, the operations of, of this F1 season have been incredible. So much so that, you know, other sports are learning from F1. I, I, I had a phone call yesterday from someone who works at Wimbledon asking on, you know, things, uh, just asking how F1 did did it and worked through things for them to, because they're having their planning meetings for next year. Um, a senior guy from the FIA who was in charge of all the COVID protocols has been hired by the Olympic Association to manage the, the Tokyo Games. So I think other sports have looked at F1 and gone, you know, that is amazing yeah, what you guys have done. It's certainly been impressive to get all the way around the world. Yeah, also... As little cases as you have. Uh, also, you know, if you think about it, it was, I think, 76,000 tests and 78 positives. Um, that's, you know, just over one in 1,000. And out of those, actually, three were drivers. So, three or 20 were drivers, which is disproportionate. Yeah. Uh, it's probably something they have to look at. But, um, yeah, no, honestly, they, they did a mega job. Brilliant. And I'm pretty sure we had a question from a group member. She yeah. was called Victoria, I remember that much. And she was asking, what do you think is the best driver lineup for next season? With all the roundabouts that have been going on this season, yeah. what do you think is the best for next season? Uh, well, we've got to see what happens with Red Bull, don't we? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, Still but waiting I, on that. Yeah, I think, I think listen, I think uh, Charles and Carlos look very strong. Okay. Um, I think they both come out of this year with, with very, very strong performances. They both got that good balance of youth and experience now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think I think on paper, they look like the strongest lineup or one yeah. of the strongest lineups for me. But I think what's nice about next year is we've got, we've got either a race winner or a world champion in so many teams, don't we? You got, you know, Vettel at Racing Point, Alonso's back, Ricardo at McLaren, um, and then obviously the top three teams yeah. as well, plus Kimi at Alpha. So I think that's seven of the teams are going to have, uh, oh, plus Gasly, of course. So eight, actually, at half tower. So um, that only leaves, what, Williams and Haas, actually. Yeah. I guess without a, a race winner in their lineup. Am I right? I think yeah, so. I think so. I think so, yeah. I think he's right. Well, there um, you go. So that leads me to my next question. Yeah. Do you think there is any team that can compete with Mercedes next year? I was thinking maybe McLaren with the Mercedes engine. Do you think they could maybe put a bit more of a fight up this next season? I hope so. I think it'd be, it, listen, it's good for the show, isn't it? We want to see more people winning. We want to see more people fighting for podiums. Um, Abu Dhabi was a was a dull race, let's be honest, but it was great to see Max win. Yes. You know, that was a nice story. It's a nice way to end the year and gives us all a bit of optimism that hopefully they can hit the ground running because the cars, yeah, they're, they're a bit different in terms of the, the real floor and aero, but for the most part, they're not that different for next year. Yeah. Okay. And moving on to the 2022 season, Obviously, the cars are completely revamped. Are the engines changing at all? They're not. No. No. So, do you think that will bring the teams closer together like it's supposed to? Or do you think they're still going to see Mercedes running off into the sunset? For 22? For 22. Uh, I think you'll find a bigger spread. I think the top three teams will go further ahead. Okay. Um, because they've got more people and resources in the yeah. short term. But I think, um, you know, the in the short term that will be an issue but then the resource restrictions and all that will come into play so from 23, 24 I think you'll see it start, start to tighten up but I think 22 you you will see a, the more well-resourced teams yeah. which doesn't mean to say McLaren and Renault won't be part of those because they are big teams and they both got good money coming into the pot now from 
investors or the parent company. So, yeah, I, I'd like to hope that we at least have four or five teams in that fight. Yeah, thank you very much. So yeah, a big thank you to the Formula Model Shop um, for having us yesterday. It's by the way, it's a, such an awesome place for nerds of Formula One, isn't it, Cal? It's also a very dangerous place for your bank account. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't allowed to take my bank card yesterday to the shop. I was given a twenty-pound note, right, which didn't get me very far. But um, is that clear? Giving you your pocket money. <laughs> Very literally, yeah. He literally yeah. called it pocket money. I just I would, imagine it was, Claire and Esme just like watching the bank accounts like, don't you do it. Don't you do it. I would have left my car there and taken home a model, trust me. I'm a, <laughs> a car model. I, um, and I, sp- I spent £30. I, w- I was naughty. What, what I'm saying is this is, the, this is the coolest place that I've been in a long time for proper Formula One fans. Um and what we didn't mention beforehand was there was a there was a simulator there, right? A driving simulator, obviously. Um, and oh God. I set a lap. Well, I set three laps. Um, the third one, I still just about went off, and we were driving around Silverstone. And um, I set a one forty three, um, which was only eleven seconds off Karun. I'm, I am saying only. I know that's like an entire lap of um, the Bahrain entire two, nerd but- podcast <laughs> listeners are just like. <laughs> All right, retake. Uh, but Callum, what was your lap, mate? <laughs> he was like, Where, "Where's the racing line?" Where? Um, <laughs> it was it was a one fifty three. I'm going to take that on the chin. It was yeah. awful. There were people setting over two minutes though, so that that wasn't the worst one person, time of the yeah. day. Yeah, two. Well, also two. you all were saying it was one of those like gyroscopic sims. It's not like yeah. what I have in my living room where I can just. <laughs> Oh yeah, it wasn't, happening. it wasn't like your PlayStation with your with your Thrustmaster. Um, if you know, it was a proper know. sim. It was. It was. Yeah, it was. Scary. It, was di- it was difficult to get used to. <laughs> that's one way to put it. Yeah, it was. And the uh, brake pedal why... was literally you had probably half an inch from off to on. Cal, you make moved. a great racing driver with the excuses. Is what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sounds sound a bit like uh, some I mean, drivers we've had this season, to be honest. To be fair, I was the only one of the day to manage to successfully park it in the pits. <laughs> That's true. And I was the only one of the day to make myself look like a complete idiot and not be able to manoeuvre my car out of the car park when we were leaving in front of Karun Chandok. So <laughs> Callum, oh, no. Callum had to get out the car and help me. <laughs> Hey, we're the embarrassing race. moment for both of us. <laughs> we're the formula nerds, not the parking space etiquette nerds. Yeah, I mean, we, we, it was a 333-mile round trip, but the worst of it was, yeah, definitely trying to move my car in front of Karun. I was like, oh. Let's get into the first half of our 2020 season review. Um, so we're going to split it over two parts so that you have something to look forward to next week. Um, and we have content to bring you. This week we're going to sort of we're going to go through it through the teams and the drivers rather than a race by race. Um, we'll go through the race highlights I think next week. Um, but first of all, I've just I've only just realised this as as we are speaking. We had twenty three drivers this year. We did indeed. Mm. Yeah. That kind of melts my brain a little bit. 
23 drivers and only two of them finished on zero points. Three. I don't know who those were. Three drivers. Three did, yeah. And <laughs> one of them was in the, the season for the entire year <laughs> without scoring a point. Yeah. I mean, the one who didn't, who was in it for the entire year, was Latifi. No, the only reason his teammate scored points was because he got into a different car to do it. Yeah, so if we just hit the nail on the head and say... Latifi for that. This was the first year in history that Williams didn't score a point this season. That breaks my heart a little bit. Which is a shame. Because they were better than last season. Mm -hmm. But so was everyone else. Exactly. The entire field shifted up. It just... They closed the gap to the proper midfield. Ah... I'm still gutted by first time in team history. Now, I think we were all knew it was going to happen this year. We were all with, especially with George's qualifying pace. We we're like, oh, this is going to be the year. He's going to get a points finish. It's going to happen. Yeah, but <sighs> let's not forget what happened in Imola, where that should have been. Well, actually, there were a lot of races where it should have been there. They should have had some points. Let's be honest, and it just didn't work out that way. Mm-hmm. But. Really, in Imola, they should have had some points. Um, George was well on track before he binded into the wall behind the safety car. Oops, sorry, that sounds mm-hmm. so brutal. Especially when we've all been crucifying Roman Grosjean for doing the same thing a couple years back. Now it's like, we wanted you to not have that happen. It just, it was there. But yeah. sometimes the racing gods are cruel. I think Williams, hopefully next year is going to be better with the takeover. You know, they've got a new... Um, uh, team director, haven't they, who's just stepped up. Um, will this be the year that we see Williams coming back? You know, they've left their heritage behind. By the way, um, best wishes going out to um, Frank at the moment as well. Um, Absolutely. But em- Emma, what's your take on Williams for next year? You know, are we going to see this, this one of the greatest teams of all time? Just give us a little something. I don't think so, to put it honestly. <laughs> I think... Um, I think they have moved forward in terms of performance, but ever so slightly. But I think having George Russell in the team, I mean, he's the, the best the best driver in the team. Um, him and Latifi, I mean, Latifi is, I, I really don't think he's going to be, you know, winning races and all that sort of shit. I think, I, I think, I don't think Latifi should be, should be in that seat. I think it needs to be Jack Aiken. But I think Russell will definitely bring the team forward, but I don't think it will bring them forward enough to be scoring more points next year. I, th- I think that um, Russell is their best hope for points. I think they'll score one or two, possibly, but I don't think they're going to be doing anything spectacular. Mm, okay. Cal, what do you think? What I will say is that Doralton, however you say it, <laughs> are bringing in some... They've got to bring in some investment, but F1 are helping them here by putting in budget caps. They are slowing down the other teams, meaning that they can't possibly stay within budget caps and have the resources and the team and the the amount of people they have working for them and stay within the budget caps unless they're going to you know pay them nothing mm-hmm. so Williams are already a couple of steps closer than they were this season and they should have more money so that's another step so I think they'll do better than we think they will mm-hmm. but Emma's right they need decent drivers with that and Matt what's your what's your view on Williams uh, i you know, while we hate to see Claire and Frank go because they are just icons in F1, uh, the appointment of Simon Roberts at Williams is going to be huge. He has a vast experience at McLaren. 
and as their COO going forward, that is going to be instrumental in them returning to former glories. Uh, he's, he's the man for the job. They have done very, very well with moving away from the Patty era. I feel and he took over in May of this year, uh, as an interim role. And they finally announced that, you know, he's going to be the man going forward. Well-deserved. I think a lot of that gap closure and the evolution of Williams over the year is directly related to him. So I'm excited to see what that pairing of the drivers and he bring forth next year, especially with the, uh, wind tunnel implications and all that, the token developments going forward, he'll know how to manage that. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, if we're talking drivers at Williams, we, Emma's already said it, we just can't give Russell enough, enough praise here. He, when he stepped into that Mercedes, okay, he made a few mistakes this year. He he lost a few points that he could have had, but when he was given that chance, the boy pulled it out the bag. I, I know Matt, you've got a slightly different opinion that he may have jeopardized it himself um, in that race. Well, and I, I stand by that that last puncture is fully on George Russell in the car. However, if Mercedes had handled the strategy and executed those pit stops properly, he wouldn't have been in that position to be with to begin with. So while the overall you know turning of the wheel to get that puncture, you know, driving like a madman, was George Russell in the car, but it was enacted and the catalyst for that was the mismanagement and the quaffles of the Mercedes pit crew. Mm. Cal? I don't think we can knock him for getting a puncture because he had one shot in that car in the best car on the grid to prove what he can do. And he was overtaking Bottas in probably the hardest place on the track to overtake. And he was going past people like they were nothing. He he was driving for his, his career that race. You can't knock him for getting a puncture by overtaking someone. Going was he on driving to, to survive? I don't think he was driving to survive, but I think he was driving to send a clear message to the rest of the grid. There's been a lot of driving to survive this year, hasn't there, Emma? I completely agree with Callum. I think when George Russell stepped into that Mercedes, he was out to prove a point. He was out to prove he is a really, really good driver. Seeing him in that car was one of my highlights of the season. It really was. It was just emotional on so many levels. Um, But I, I do think that Next year, he is, I think, being in that Mercedes has given him a massive confidence boost going back into the Williams car. So I think next year, we should see a lot more from Russell. Um, So if we move on to number nine in the championship, then that takes us to who I personally would say had the worst season, um, which is Haas. Um, Three points throughout the year. I mean, it was only a few years ago they were they were looking like sort of the position that Racing Point are in at the moment, wasn't it? it's it's madness. Um, three points to Haas. I think they had initial investment when they came into the sport, but then nothing since. I think they've literally got the same standard of car as when they first started in the sport and everyone else has just either caught up or gone past. They, they joined the sport in 2016 and they've literally sat still since then. They've been jogging on the spot while everyone else is either sprinting or going past them. So that's that's the issue with Haas there. I don't think they've even been jogging in the same spot. They're jogging on one of those moving sidewalks, so the ground's moving forward beneath them, and they're not going anywhere. Uh, Do you mean in, like, in, like in an airport, Matt? Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, I say moving sidewalk, I, we don't have them over here. Uh, I feel like uh, <laughs> colloquial differences. 
Uh, that's why we're all so fat. We <laughs> have at, moving sidewalks. <laughs> look at Callum's face here. <laughs> He's like, what is Matt talking about? <laughs> uh, the thing with Haas is, A, they're one of the few teams out there, you know, Alfa Romeo still have developmental capabilities. Most of Haas and their fabrication comes from, is it Alahara who do their chassis design? Everybody just went glassy-eyed on me. Uh, basically... If you're racing with spare parts and you don't have the funds there because you have been so poor, uh, you know there's been a steady decline with their performance, and that leads to steady decline in investment, which is how those dirt bags <laughs> at Rich Energy show up. Uh, I think they're still reeling from that because they were operating under assumed capital and investment there, and it never came to fruition. Mm-hmm. But also, to, I, I say it time and time again, a lot of people understand getting a Ferrari engine and putting it in your car is, oh, you bolt it up and you go. You have to design and package and test and get balance. And there's, I can't even go into depth enough in a podcast episode about what all's entailed with that. But it's not a simple recipe of you whisk your two eggs and you add some sugar and poof, you've got a winning race car. And I think Haas, while having a genius financial strategy, there needs to be, uh, there has to be money to develop, period. Yeah. You're, you're, you're right there, Matt. And, and to be fair, I think there is actually a podcast episode over this break on what it means to be a, you know, a customer team versus a, a manufacturer. I think it's a really, Ooh. really interesting thing that um, they don't tell you on TV, do they? They don't really explain what that means other than they use their engines. Um, it's a huge difference. And um, we, if we cast our minds back to Drive to Survive a few years ago, um, I believe it was uh, Gunther said... There are more people on holiday at Mercedes than we have in our team at any one time. At any one time. Actually, people thought that was a joke. It wasn't a joke. I, I double-checked it. It's, it's That's not hyperbole. That's, yeah. that's fact. That is we fact. saw them all in Broccoli yesterday. There is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of people there. Yeah, yeah. No, there is. And just on the drivers, quickly, otherwise we're going to run out of time. But Grosjean and Magnussen, I think... I think if we're being fair to them, they did what they what they could do with the car. Mm-hmm. Didn't Magson have that, was it a P8 in qualifying this year that they did, weren't able to capitalize on in Austria? Is that right? Anybody? Uh, how much higher can Matt make his voice? I can get up here. <laughs> uh, you know, it's in the same realm of the Red Bull car being extremely hard to drive, you know, I won't say that Romain Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen were the same caliber of some of the other drivers on the grid. They're not horrible at all, but it was just the ingredients weren't there. They did what they could, and it unfortunately wasn't enough. So to get more of a following, get more support, you have to mix it up. And it's worth saying at this point that both of those drivers are gone next year. Um, but thank you to K-Mag and thank you to um, Grosjean for great entertainment over the years. And I truly, sincerely mm-hmm. mean that. Thank you to them both. Um, yes. Next in the championship was eight points. I mean, this is pretty dismal as well. But this was our old friend Kimmy and um, Mr. Who? Um, Giovinazzi. Oh. Mm. And honestly, Cal, you have the numbers for drivers there in front of you, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I do. What were the uh, respected, respective numbers for the Alfa Romeo drivers? They got four points hmm. each. Who all expected that? No, I didn't actually. I'll, 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 uh, I'll take that one. <laughs> I, I, I that. didn't. 
I thought Raikkonen would, uh, would get I, I think we all expected Raikkonen to finish in front of Giovinazzi. Hmm. When you have a former world champion, 2007, in Kimi Raikkonen, uh, that's 2007, not 1907, even though he is <laughs> extremely well aged. <laughs> it seems like that long ago. Yeah. Uh, I am personally guilty of this as well. Uh, I have been a very, very harsh critic of Giovinazzi. However, I won't say that Kimi's on the decline. I think I have overlooked Antonio Giovinazzi so completely. You know, we made our little joke a couple of episodes ago talking about he's a great start and doesn't have the rest of the race craft. He is not as good as Kimi. I will never state that. But he's putting up the same number of points. All right, okay. Is there room for growth and development? Where did Giovinazzi finish in the championship, Callum? He finished in 17th. Okay, so uh, yeah, I suppose there's a little little bit of bit, bit more improvement for him if he's going to stay in for a while, isn't it? But there? if we're going to use that retro, that uh, oh, metric, we go. here we go. Where did George Russell finish? <laughs> True. Mm. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> I, I think I think he's overlooked. Is basically what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not complete and utter garbage like I thought he was, and tried to paint him as throughout the year. Uh, and he has to, he has to take that to the bank. I don't care who you're racing alongside. If you equal the number of points, no matter how few they may be of a former world champion on your team, that's a nice little... Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's, he's underrated, but rated highly before he came into F1. Yes. And I think because of his slow start, people have sort of forgotten and just dismissed him. But he was rated very highly coming into the sport. So I think that there is flashes there that, you know, are proving that. Mm-hmm. And he's not in a very competitive car, let's be fair to him. Um, there is a huge jump um, to the next team, though, um, in terms of champ- world championship points. Um, in number seven was Alpha Tauri with 107. That's 99 more than Alpha Romeo. Um, and that was driven by Daniel Kvyat and one of my favourites of the year, Mr. Gasly. Alpha Tauri had a phenomenal season. For what they what was expected, especially with the driver lineup they had, they had a win and a podium, so they'd been fantastic all year. They've really, really been faster than anyone could have expected. So credit to the team because it, it's purely the team that have made that car develop the way it has. So fantastic. Plus their second ever race win for AlphaTauri, formerly uh, Toro Rosso. The gap from <laughs> eight to seven. I mean, we have a race winner in Pierre Gasly sitting down there with AlphaTauri, which is, I think the entire F1 world wanted to see that as well. We all felt for him the same way we feel for Albon with the machinations of Red Bull uh, to see him mature, overcome that emotional stab in the heart and come back and show his form this year. Granted, once again, with some mistakes that nobody is perfect on this grid. Except Lewis Hamilton. But <laughs> there were... Great moments for that team, and it's just it's in what it's that's what I'm looking for. It does me well to see these middling teams start to progress and get on the podium and and mix it up a little bit. I Pierre Gasly has proved his medal this year. Period. He has Emma. What did you think of Gasly this season? I was really impressed, actually. I think he's performed a lot better in AlphaTauri this year than um, what he did in the Red Bull. I think he's gained so much confidence. He seems to have matured slightly as well. And I think his racecraft is getting a lot better. Um, and I think that becomes that that comes with having more confidence in the car. But I think 
I don't think Red Bull should have actually kept him. I think they were right in, in you know, demoting him, shall we say, back to Alpha Tauri because it has done wonders for his race performance. So I, I have been really impressed with Gasly. When he first came into the sport, I was thinking, oh God, there's another young driver is just going to crash the car all the time. But he, it took a while for me to warm to Gasly in the sport and him going back to Alpha Tauri has, has done that. I'm now quite a big fan of his. I am, and I, I, I completely agree, Emma. I never thought I'd say I would be a fan of Pete, of Gasly, um, you know, in the last couple of years. But I think we'll save his miracle moments for the next episode because we're going to go through the races. And my God, were there some miracle moments from him. I Honestly, this is a really weird thing for me. Uh, but the radio transmissions are really what made me fall in love with Pierre Gasly. Just like the unintelligible emotional screaming in the car. And I, I just, you, you res, it resonates with me. You feel how dedicated he is to his craft and it shows. Yeah, I, I nearly cried in Monza. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, number six in the championship, not much further ahead, but I'm still surprised they are number six. Um, <clears throat> I don't, can't remember. Ferrari! <laughs> Oh, oh, there's a man on the podcast with a Ferrari in the background. Maybe he should talk about this. Yeah, it's... This was a tough year to be a Tifosi. Uh, but we oh, they were six, forth. Matt. They were six. I don't think that's that bad for the year that they had. Honestly, with the <laughs> legality issues of our engine and having to undo that, but also the complete aero departure, uh, the takeaways for me this year are... There's three big takeaways as a Tifosi. Number one, I cannot wait to see what Carlos Sainz can do in this car. Hopefully, well, I only phrase, not this car, burn this car, never bring it back. Don't put it in the museum. <laughs> but uh, Carlos Sainz brings a much needed spark. Uh, yeah. The big takeaway there being Vettel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I hate to see him leave, obviously, but I think it was time for him mentally and as a driver to move on because we all know why he was brought to Ferrari and not fully on him, but he, he, he hasn't been said of old since he's donned the red racing overalls. However, the biggest takeaway and the most exciting for me as a Tifosi going forward is Charles Leclerc is, mm. I, I can't sing his praises enough. I'm sure the podcast is tired of hearing it. Uh, what he did with that car is just defies all logic and reason. So huge improvement for him, even though the results don't show it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Cal, what do you make on that? Matt, do you think that Ferrari needs to change their philosophy of straight line speed over cornering speed? <sighs> That's tough, uh, which they attempted that this year with running a complete redesign of their aero package to emphasize uh, medium and low speed cornering, which affected them on the straights. However, it's easier to overcome an aero package redesign when you have an illegal engine. So I think the biggest thing will be on finding a balanced car that is able to do. You can't do everything well, but is at least competent in all aspects. But more importantly, find power within the confines of the regulations that are in place. That's where I think Ferrari needs to have the biggest uh, advance going forward. Well, how come then they can't do that, but Mercedes can? How come Mercedes can get the most power 
and the best cornering speeds with the best downforce package. How come they can do it, but a team like Ferrari with their heritage and history can't? Uh, I think for one is the initial design of splitting the housing on the turbo for Mercedes. Uh, Ferrari still using the impeller and the reluctor wheel of the turbo in the same housing. For Mercedes actually split that, which led to a more compact packaging, and they've been running that since the V6 turbo hybrid era began. However, I think Mercedes is also, you know, if you look at the recruitment, the money, and their ability to pay for the best of the best, you know. Yeah, but money's Ferrari, no object for Ferrari either. It isn't, but it is when you recruit so heavily from Italy. Uh, you know, a lot of their engineers are coming through Italian universities and they have the master's program where they study underneath Ferrari, Maserati, and some of the other brands out, uh, Alpha and the brands out there. And they try to recruit almost exclusively from that pool. Instead of having a global focus, Ferrari's focus is on Italy itself. You can make an Italian brand, an Italian run company. Uh, I spoke on that before. I just think they have to re envision their packaging and the way they go about executing that vision. You can't just, you know, it's not the old formula of big car or big engine, light car, go fast. You know, there's so many, the electrical programming has been a disaster for Ferrari this year. And that's just, Mercedes has the better people. I'll say it. And it's not knocking the Tifosi or excuse me, the team, but they have better people. They have better technology. I'm going to hand number five in the championship over to our resident Daniel Ricciardo sandwich lover. Um, they got... Got to be a spicy sandwich. Yeah, if you've missed our season of podcasts, there are a few references so far this week that you do need to um, have understood. Um, Cal, were you just celebrating with your hand up there or did you want to say something? No, I was just throwing more spice on. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Emma, 50 points ahead of Ferrari. Who that? Yeah, Renault has actually had um, quite a good season. I think they hoped for some more points. Um, but Daniel Ricciardo got two podiums this year. So he had um, German Grand Prix and I think it was an Imola as well. He got a podium. And Ocon also got his podium as well. So they've made small improvements in development throughout the whole of the season. Very small improvements, but it's it's been a little, little bit of a push forward this year, given the circumstances, and it's really paid off for them. Daniel Ricciardo this year has only, if you discount his DNF of the first race of the season, he's only finished outside of the top 10 once, and that was in Spain. So his results have been incredible this year um, in that Renault. And with his two podiums as well, I think he's done absolutely fantastic. I'm just like totally fangirling over him, clearly. Well, I'm going to I'm going to um, jump in and, and just agree with you. I'm a fa- I'm a fan boy of Ricardo. And just to just to add some spice onto what you've just said, Ocon had 62 points this year. Ricardo had 119. So it doesn't matter that you're a fangirl because the numbers speak for themselves. Yeah, and he's off to McLaren next year, which is brilliant. Him, I think him and Norris are going to be brilliant together. I think there's there's going to be a little bit of a bromance like there was with Sainz, you know, doing the spice. I know, I know. I can see you all. I can see you. Well, by the way, we're just delivering spice over the top of our More uh, and more spice. Yeah, yeah. 
sandwich. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing him in a lovely papaya race suit next year. If you all recall, I actually was so impressed with Reynolds' development in the off season and coming into the beginning of the season. I picked them for third in the constructors. Yeah, I did uh, as well. And mm. I, I don't think they can be disheartened by this showing at all. I mean, they beat Ferrari, even if it is an absolute dog of a Ferrari <laughs> entry this year. Uh, there's a lot of developmental pros, and they're trending in the right direction now. Uh, even if they are losing Daniel Ricciardo, there's another driver coming to Renault that might be, uh, you know, mm-hmm. an asset, could help develop, could get them to where they need to be. Hmm. And who, who's um, that then? A certain Spanish driver? I can't well, remember his name. I heard they're dusting off his wheelchair and wheeling him yeah. out, but his name is Fernando Alonso. Alonso! I am not the biggest Fernando Alonso fan personally, but the amount of knowledge in that man's head, as long as he doesn't repeat the mistakes that he had at the end of McLaren, where he kind of tried to make it (laughs) a dictatorship, uh, I think he will be (laughs) very, very surprisingly adept next year for people. I'm going to just say that I, I just think that it's... It was always a, a, a sort of strange issue for me with Alonso coming back because he his career in Formula One has been great. He's, you know, world champion, great driver. I just think towards the tail end of his career, he changed and rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way. And um, I just think his relationship with a few of the teams that he did drive with were, were a bit, you know, didn't really like... <laughs> I'm getting distracted. Sorry, Callum was doing the rotation of his finger without realising. <laughs> without realising he was just doing that. But I don't... I hope that Alonso can perform next year in the Renault because I was of the opinion that he could come back to F1, but I didn't think that he should. Yeah. Callum, what do you think on this? I just wanted to remind everyone that they're not Renault anymore. They're Alpine. Alpine. Yeah. Alpine, but they, their colours are blue and yellow, right? Not yellow and black. They are the colours of the tricolour, uh, red, white, and blue. Are they? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And we'll we'll also, cover we'll cover more on on that when we when we get close to the season. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Once we start seeing liveries for winter, oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, they, I think Alonso's going to have to earn this drive because with the emphasis on young drivers coming through to validate selecting a, not a has-been, I don't want to use that phrase, but somebody that is no longer in the sport, he's going to have to produce at a level that most people coming into a new car would not be able to. Oop, there's a finger again. Got, got to say, Guan Yu Zhou, I can't say his name. Guan Yu Zhou. Yeah. He is an impressive driver. He will get that seat. He is a Renault Academy driver. He will get that mm-hmm. seat eventually. So Alonso really needs to either have a good season or bow down at the end of the season because Joe is going to be a priority in the next coming years. How long is his contract for? Do we remember? I think it's two. To get two him to 2022. To mind. So let's just say hypothetically, and we're going to make our first guesses here. Let's say Alonso does very, very well. Uh... Do you get rid of Ocon and bring in Zhao, or do you stick with Ocon? Good mm. question. Oh, talking about tough decisions, um, that takes us nicely into number four in the championship, um, who made a utterly shit decision. Um, 
<laughs> with 195 points, we heard a very, very sad story about the Racing Point um, employee who lost his Christmas bonus, didn't we, Callum, yesterday? But um, <laughs> it was fun. What was that? Was that is, wow. Yeah, they did. They lost their Christmas bonuses because they came fourth. Anyway, that is Racing Point with Mr. Perez. Oh, he's no good. We'll just get rid of him. Um, and Mr. Stroll. Um, it would be wrong not to, not to give this to Emma, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. There it is. Spice. Well, it, 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 worked out, it worked out quite well for Perez in the end, didn't it? He's going to Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true He's that. like, see ya. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you've, you cannot look back at this season without looking at Perez versus Stroll pretty much. Um, teammates, but Perez was definitely the one that came out on top. So you've got Perez finished fourth in the championship on 125 points. Wow. And then you've got Stroll down in 11th on 75. But who so, did they retain? And they retained Stroll, of and course. For those, That's the point. And oh, yeah. Don't forget, for those who are going, well, that doesn't add up. There was Mr. Hulk who uh, contributed to some yeah. of that as well. Mm-hmm. He, no, he's just... actually finished on 10 points. Hockenberg got 10 points for a racing point, but Perez missed two races due to COVID. Stroll missed one race due to COVID. Perez had two DNFs, Stroll five DNFs. Perez did not finish outside of the top 10. Didn't he? If you discount his DNFs, he did not finish outside of the top 10 all season. Wow. And he had two podiums which was one win and one second place. Now, his two DNFs were both sort of mechanical issues. He had a power unit issue um, in Bahrain, and he was on for a podium. And then in Abu Dhabi, he had a transmission issue as well. But when you look at Stroll, it's the flip side to this, his five DNFs, Austria, he had a sensor issue. I'll give him that. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll say that's fine, mechanical. Begrudgingly. But gradually, I'll give him that. In Mugello, he went off um, at Arabiata 2 while he was sitting in fourth, and he just went off. In Russia, he had contact with Leclerc, spun into a wall. And then in Portugal, he collided with Norris and also received two five-second penalties, one for the collision and the other one for infringing track limits. And then in Bahrain, he rolled over after having contact with Kvyat, yeah, we'll, we'll give wow. him that. But he had two podiums, both third places, and he still fin- he finished on 75 points. And I just, if, if Racing Point have got these stats in front of them, just, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense why they were completely okay with binning off Perez and potentially having him not racing next year. And keeping Stroll, who's still got a lot to learn in this sport. But um, yeah, that's well, my even validating, Even validating the decision to go with Seb over Checo. Mm. So oh, I, I, just before I hand it over to Callum, who's patiently waiting in the wings, um, Stroll started a race in pole, on pole position and he finished it. Where did he finish? 11th, I seem to recall. That's got to be the biggest boop up this year for him. Cal? Yeah, got to say, Stroll, he had the race. He got on pole. He was leading the race. He fucked it. 
know the word to say it. He fucked it. <laughs> Tell us what you really because think. Because he, 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 he's not ready. He doesn't have the bottle yet to lead a race out at front and not let the pressure get to him. He's still in baby milk. Also, I'll say that the massive gulf between him and Perez when Perez missed two races um, just shows that he's shit. He's, that, he's just not good enough. He's just simply not good enough. That also shows how important Checo is. The whole battle for third place and how tight that was is only due to Checo having COVID. Full stop. Because if he had been able to race the entire calendar, it, it it's over. Period. He had an incredible year. And, you know, if we're going to discuss the reasons why Stroll is still there and they're getting rid of Checo, you know, Christian Horner, which we'll get to him eventually, was discussing about keeping emotion out of the decision-making. Emotion is the only thing driving the decision-making at Racing Point. And we mm. all have to, you know, mm. Lawrence Stroll is entitled to make the call he wants. He bought the team. He owns it. You know, it is his. I understand why his son is driving there. I do. Mm-hmm. However, to <laughs> take emotion out of it, we all know what it would be. It would be Checo and Seb next year, which would be awesome. But it's yeah. not plausible. And this is the point where we do just have to mention the Hulk, um, Nico Hulkenberg, because he finished 15th in the Drivers' Championship, right? And... How many races did he actually drive in? Because I know he had a, he, was it three, but one was a, did not start. So with Hulkenberg, you know, he only raced in three races. He had that did not start even at the first Silverstone. He took seventh in the second Silverstone. And then when he was the fill-in at the Nürburgring, he took eighth. Yeah, so finishing in 15th from two races is pretty damn good, isn't it? It's um, not bad. I mean, what will say as well, sorry, is... That Lawrence Stroll, if he's going to own and run a team, he needs to look at what's best for the team. Like, forget about who's your kid, who family are, and things like that. If you're running a Formula One team with fans and millions of people depending on you to do well, who are buying merchandise and things like that, you do what's best for the team. If I had that much money and I owned Racing Point and I saw Lance was crap compared to Perez, I would be keeping Perez and paying Lance off and saying, right, mate, just travel the world, go and enjoy yourself. Yeah, I, I mean, binning I'm, his own son. <laughs> I would bin my own son for the benefit of the team. Yeah. My only, Thank my you. only criticism there is that they did finish fourth in the world championship on 195 points. They didn't do badly, but what you're saying is they should have finished third. Should have finished third, and they should have kept Perez. Yeah. It should be that simple. Yeah. What was the point spread between Hulkenberg and Stroll? It was 65 points difference. With how many races difference? A lot. <laughs> a lot. About that's, 15? That's... 14 or 15? There was a lot. Most of the season. Let's just put it down to most of the season. He should have done more with the time he had. As considering he was leading the Turkish GP, he should have had 25 points. He, he bottled it. I'll Guy's agree. not ready. Guy's not ready for a top four car. Okay, so this well, is... Sorry, it's man. actually still only a top three car because it's just a carbon copied Mercedes, but <laughs> it is. As we move into the top three for the season, um, I just want to say how how goddamn happy I am to see the team in third because 
It's been a long... We've, we've really missed these guys. They have not been competitive for years, and my God, does it make me happy to see McLaren in third in the World Championship. Um, that was Mr. Science and Lando Norris. And, you know, Ferrari-McLaren is that old-school rivalry. I got hype watching those guys this year. Uh, Lando chasing down the gap <laughs> to get underneath the five-second penalty is one of the funnest moments of this season for me uh, when he had that gap to Lewis Hamilton at 4.8 seconds. Uh, McLaren have handled this season with such grace and just, just, just enjoyable to watch. The bromance is going to be missed, but also McLaren's development coming forward this year. Uh, I... I the same way that I overlooked uh, Antonio Giovinazzi at the beginning of the season until the racing actually began, I overlooked McLaren. And I was remiss in that. And they have made me eat choosing Renault for third and not picking them higher all season. Uh, they've been class. They have. They've been, you know, we did just mention Alonso. And when Alonso was at McLaren and towards the end of his career, they were just finishing last every race, weren't they? That's sort of my, my most recent memory of McLaren versus. Wow, they just finished third. Um, and it's worth saying that the two drivers were pretty pretty level all season, weren't they? Because you've got um, Sainz on 105 points in the sixth in the championship. And only um, eight points behind, you've got Lando Norris. Um, Cal, what do you reckon on this? I think considering Lando Norris is only in his second season in Formula One, that is a massive achievement for him. Huge. Um, and I've got to say, Zach Brown, since he has taken over, has done an amazing job. He, he can't be overlooked in this. He's he's clearly the person that's changed something. And their consistency levels have been incredible. Bear in mind, they only had two podiums this season. They didn't win. Two podiums, that's it. Racing Point had four podiums and a race win. They still finished in front of Racing Point. So that just shows you how consistently good McLaren have been. They've been steady eddies all season. Mm -hmm. And also on that as well, you know, Mercedes is the model of the current F1 team, how it should be developed. McLaren are the model going forward for how a driver lineup should be managed. You know, yeah. the numbers, by having consistent numbers, like you say, there were moments of, of brilliance and flash, but they aren't ostentatious moments of, you know, podiums and wins and things like that. Just consistent, solid racing and dependable results are the reason that they are in third. And that's something that I think a lot of the other teams have been looking at, Red Bull. And they could have been the catalyst for a lot of things that have happened on the grid this year. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, sorry, Ollie, that one more thing on McLaren is that even, in, even when their qualifying pace hasn't been brilliant, their race pace has. They've always made up a lot of positions. They've always managed to just creep into the top 10 because there was a fair few races where they qualified like 14th and 15th. But they always managed to get at least one car into the top 10 to keep the points coming in. So they, they were fantastic all season. I think the one that really calls out for me, and again, we'll get into it next week, but was when, um, I believe it was Portugal, correct me if I'm wrong, but when the two McLarens overtook the two Mercedes and were leading the race, that just... That was just a magical moment of this season. I can't wait to talk about it um, next week. Um, so that takes us in to number two in the championship. You've guessed it. It's not Mercedes. It is Red Bull. Um, Max Verstappen finished uh, the season on 214 points 
with his teammate Alexander Alban on 105 points. That is less than half. Big difference. Big, big difference. But I keep saying this and I will keep saying it, Verstappen is in a league of his own. Max Verstappen is a racing god. And um, when we referred earlier to to Christian Horner um, making the decision based on um, facts, you know, Alexander Albon finished seventh in the championship. Um, Sergio Perez finished fourth in a in a weaker car. It's what's happened has happened for a reason, and I think we could discuss it <laughs> till the end of this show. We could, we could, and I think Red Bull going forward, if they want to win a constructors' championship, they need to stop comparing people to Max Verstappen. Yes, and compare the two cars differently. Because you can't, it's the same problem at Mercedes, if the Mercedes wasn't so dominant, they'd be having the same conversation about Hamilton and Bottas. They can't compare the two drivers. They need to let Max Verstappen run his own race and the other driver run his own race. Because you can't expect anyone to get in the car and compete with Max. Especially with the dynamics of that car at Red Bull. Uh, you know, one of the biggest things for me watching the racing for the last couple of years is the stability and drivability of the Mercedes car. There's not a lot of imbalance issues. It seems very smooth, very fluid, whereas the Red Bull is much more pointy and unsettled almost. It's more agile, but Max Verstappen has learned how to control that through the development of that car. To come into something that is not just you know point and click, if you will, with the steering wheel, there is an art form to the way that car is set up for Max and how he's able to make it happen. But it's almost unrealistic to expect Albon to perform at that same level in such a difficult car to master. Whereas, you know, it's not saying that the racing point is the best thing on the grid and they stole everything from Mercedes. But I feel that the racing point was an easier car to drive for Checo than the Red Bull was for Albon, not taking away that Checo is the better driver. Just something I'd like to mm. throw out. Mm. Cal? Yeah, the Red Bull have definitely developed a car with Max Verstappen in mind. He's a, he's a guy that drives on the edge all the time. Doesn't matter what he's doing, even in practice. He, I mean, God, last season he was spinning in practice pretty much every race because he was finding the limit of each corner. Not many drivers do that. Not many drivers will throw their car into the corner through fear of binning it and ruining the car. Max just doesn't care. He will ruin a car to find the limit of what he can do with it. So it's... Again, impossible to compare Albon to Verstappen when the car is designed for Max. Yeah, so I'd say it's been an interesting season for them. They they could have, I would say, done better uh, for sure. But finishing second um, wasn't second to Mercedes. You can't moan about that, can you? You can't. And another takeaway is I will not besmirch Max Verstappen's headspace and the way he drives. However... This year, he had five DNFs. He had one at Monza. He had one at Imola. He had one at Bahrain. He had one at the Red Bull ring. I'm missing one. Oh, Mugello. Uh, obviously, if Red Bull needs to just not race in Italy, it would appear, <laughs> for Max Verstappen. Uh, two of those were component failures. Three of those were driver error incidents. Uh, which that's because Max Verstappen is on that ragged knife edge. The entire time, the smallest mistake, and he paid for it dearly. But it's there. It, it, Max Verstappen still, even with those, showed his class. 
Yeah, I, I don't think it's fair to call Bahrain his error. You know, no, not at all. I think that was just racing incident out of his hands. So I'd say four DNFs. Well, he also wasn't penalised for it. Exactly. Mm. Well, yeah. and and that beautifully leads us into um, the winners. But one thing I'm really going to focus on here is that the Max Verstappen we've just said had five DNFs, and he was nine, eleven points behind number two man Valtteri Bottas. No, it was nine points. Say that again. <clears throat> and he was nine points behind number two man, Valtteri Bottas. So, as we know, Mercedes won the World Championship, I believe, in Imola. Um, so, fa- fairly early on. Um, and that is Lewis Hamilton with 347 points. <laughs> Incredible. Um, and Valtteri Bottas, um, over 100 behind on 2-2-3. Two, two, um, I think we know about the difference between these drivers, but... What I will say before I hand it over to you, Cal, is this was a miserable season for Valtteri Bottas. It was, and I'm looking at the stats right now, and the fact that he got two wins and 11 podiums, which is, by the way, exactly the same as what Max did in a Red Bull, that, for me, I saw that this morning when I was doing the research, and I was like, wow, okay. Valtteri's had a really bad season. Like Seeing that made it worse for him. And the fact that Lewis got... 11 wins and 14 podiums shows what you can do with that car. It's it's almost at the point where you can just forget about Hamilton, right? And just look at Bottas's stats and go, that's pretty bad, considering you're in a Mercedes. It, it, you don't even need to say, well, he's against Hamilton to make that point, do you, Matt? And see, we were talking about the DNS for Max Verstappen. Valtteri Bottas only had one DNF all year. That Seriously. was the Herbert ring. Yes. Max is better. Wow. If Max, Max didn't have five DNFs, he's taking exactly. second. Oh my uh, God. And the reason for that is Max's consistency. Uh, you know, Valtteri Botas had the podiums and wins you're talking about there, but he also finished at 14th in Istanbul when Lewis Hamilton won the race. Now, there were some quaffles along the way, but it's the consistency. Those glaring mistakes are in times of comfortability or just not doing what he should be doing with the car. Max Verstappen's incidents, to me, are you know sometimes equipment. We've talked about that, and racing incidences. Because he is challenging, because he is pushing, yeah. because he's in the action, mm. rather than just trundling along with the cruise control on, like Valtteri Bottas seems to do, or just falling off the pace. That's a really yeah. good point, Matt. I absolutely love that, um, which is that, Every mistake Verstappen made was because he was really pushing it. Every mm-hmm. mistake I can think of just off the top of my head, mostly Turkey, um, but was... Seven spins. Yeah, but it was, yeah. Just, it was just Valtteri falling apart, not even putting the pressure on. It's brilliant mm-hmm. point. That was equate, the nail in the coffin for his season. Yeah, because he was there, and then he finished 14th there, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, I equate Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton, that, 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 that chase... Max Verstappen is the dog in uh, the old dog racing where they have the rabbit chasing around the track, and that's what motivates them. Max Verstappen is just foaming at the mouth, chasing it down for all he's worth. Meanwhile, for lack of a better <laughs> Sorry, Lewis Hamilton's the rabbit in this scenario. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, he's, he's what Max Verstappen is chasing. Yeah. Valtteri Botas is the golden lab at the park. 
to where you throw the ball, he'll go get it a couple of times, and then a squirrel will run off a branch nearby. He's like, Burr! and just lose all focus of what he's supposed to be doing. Uh, you got That's me good. doing that. That was good. That's good. Um, yeah. So, I mean, what I did prepare for this was I've got the list of records that Lewis Hamilton now holds. There's there's too many to to, to keep anyone's attention through this, especially three Callum, hours later, who is is currently uh, yawning as I've begun this this little section, and he's now fallen <laughs> asleep. Um, but I've got Hamilton's race records and, and the all time records that he's got. But what I've also got, which I think maybe we'll just do instead, is the ones that he'll never get. Never get the records that. Well, Lewis Hamilton is very unlikely to break. I mean, we all thought nobody would touch Schumacher 7, and, you know, here we sit. You've got to look at this from a different, slightly different perspective. Yeah. Um, okay. Reel them off, let's go. So, um, let me start at number one. Hold on. Oldest driver to start an F1 race. Kimi <laughs> <Give me> Räikkönen. <laughs> I'm going to say Barrichello. So it's aged have to be back in the day. just shy of 56 years old was Louis Chiron um, wow. in 1955. So we don't think Lewis Hamilton will break that record. How is, how is his last name spelled? C-H-I-R-O-N. So does he have anything to do with Bugatti? Bugatti Chiron. Yeah. It's an Inter- interesting question. Good Cal. Sorry. That's very, that completely thrown Ollie there, but yeah, it, it, just the name. You have, I was holding my breath ready for my next fact, and I, I was holding it, held it for a bit too long, <laughs> I've gone red in the face. How old um, did you say he was? 50, well, he was just shy of 56. I want to see Lewis Hamilton, Kimi, or Fernando come back and drive a car at that age. Even if it's just like a demo lap. To be fair, you I see Brundle doing it each week, don't you, and all them lot, so... Um, <laughs> I think the G-forces of the current cars would literally shatter spines of yeah. a 56-year-old <laughs> man. Um, the Just next, turn their spine into dust. <laughs> the next, um, it could happen, but it's unlikely, is the most F1 career starts. So Kimi Raikkonen, as we know, this year uh, broke the record, so 326. Um, Hamilton is currently um, seventh on that list. Um, with 264. So he's going to need, that's about four more years. Maybe. I'd say five. It's doable, though. It's doable, but will he? I think that's the... I don't think he will. I I think he'll get his eighth title next season and retire. He might want, actually, he might want to have a go in the 2022 In 2022, exactly. He might want to see what it's like, but I think once he's got his eight, he's happy there, and I think that... (laughs) It's enough for him. Do you think winning's getting boring to Lewis Hamilton and he's running out of people to thank or like inspire <laughs> at the end of every race and that's why he won't stick around so long? No, I think winning is what you'll do for all of his life. But I think winning in F1 is something he might give up on. I don't think he's ever bored of winning. Well, that, but I that, think he'll... Go on, sorry, Oli. I was going to say that brings me perfectly into the next one. Um, <laughs> magically, as if we'd planned it. Consecutive wins. I know who it is. I can't remember. He so told me. Again, I can't he. Remember. It, it, there is a chance that he could get this, but 
Currently, Absolutely. he's not very close to it, which is consecutive F1 victories. Um, the man who holds the record is Matthew Seb. With how many? Don't remember, but I think it's like 10. It's just below. It's nine. Um, <laughs> Hamilton's is, he's never won more than five in a row. Wow. That's shocking because we always think about just like a whitewash of Hamilton victories in the turbo hybrid era. Crazy, I mean, right? That's that's insane. Um, the next then one I been, think. Sorry, what year on. did uh, Hamilton do that? Did he get that string? Right there. Let me that check. was in 2014. Has he missed his best shot to do? He's that? He's done it as well this year. He's done it as well this year. He did. Uh. Eiffel GP, Portuguese GP, Imola, Turkey, Bahrain. He did five again this year. I th- I th- if he didn't do it this year or when the Mercedes turbo hybrid dominance began, I, I don't think he's going to get it. So you can't have that one, Lewis. <laughs> There's another big one that Lewis doesn't have, which is consecutive poles. Um, that Cal- shot fucks me. Go on, Kel. I know, you, I know I heard you breathe in to say something on this. I'm surprised he hasn't got this, considering, you know, he's about 20-odd in front now. Worth but noting that he has got the most poles in history, but not consecutive. How many consecutive was there, and who who did it then? The record is eight. <laughs> For our listeners at home, Ollie just got, had a sneeze attack in the middle of this because he's allergic to Lewis Hamilton not having a record. <laughs> Let me just clear the snot off my face. Um, Wipe off your mic, mate. Where do I get to? So the record was eight consecutive pole positions by Lewis Hamilton's hero. And Senna. Yeah. Mm. Fair. Hamilton's best is seven in a row. So he's very, very close on a lot of these. It, he is, but... But when you think about consecutive, he's got to do it all over again. It's not like yeah, it's, he's, he's just reaching a number. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't start now. Yeah. yeah, I mean you're right, but he. That's a pretty. Uh, <laughs> Sticking with qualifying, um, another Seb Vettel one for you, Matt. So um, most poles in a season. Now I'd forgotten about this until I, I did my research. Sebastian Vettel holds that with 15 poles out of 19 races in 2011. <laughs> Yeah. I didn't know it was that many. I knew it was 7 11. Was um, that the RB10? Because that car was just outrageously fast. Mm-hmm. The closest that Hamilton has got to that is 12 poles out of 21 in 2016. This hurts me to hear these records of Seb and then reflect on what 2020 was for him or what his entire time at Ferrari was. Yeah, for he got him. 33 points. He was bad. I'm just going to piss on your bonfire there, Matt. <laughs> Go for it, man. And the last one I think's interesting um, is, <clears throat> excuse me, consecutive podium finishes. Um, Didn't, I want to say Max had that, but that's not. So, so Hamilton's best is 16 in a row, which is <laughs> not bad. But the all-time record is 17 consecutive podiums in a row. And that was over two seasons, by the way. Who was it? 
That's that's what you need to tell me, guys. Was it Senna? No, it was another ghost. Oh, oh, Schumacher. Shumi. It was Shumi. Yep, over 2001 and two. 19 consecutive podiums. Wow. He's knocked on the door of everything. Yep. Yep. Those are the uh, records that Lewis Hamilton hasn't broken yet. Um, Shall I give you a little overview of what he has, or should we just skip right over that? Go ahead. Hurt me. Rub it in. Well, there's 36, and I'm not going to cover them all, but he's won the most number of races, 94. He's got the most consecutive race starts. Uh, No, let's Mm. skip that one. Skip that one. In, In a certain time period. Boring effect. Hamilton has won the highest number of different races. He's won 28 different races. Um, He's won at the highest number of different circuits with 29. Edit that out. That's like the same fucking thing. Hamilton has the most wins at a home circuit um, with seven wins at Silverstone. My God. And I, I mean, I could go on and on and on and on and on. Hamilton has the highest number of pole positions in F1 history. He has the highest number of podiums in F1 history with 163. And he has the most career points in history of 3,700 and God knows. My Lord. Um, And of course, he is tied with Shumi for seven world championships. But there are a heck of a lot more subcategory records below those. But those are the sort of key ones for you. Is, there, is anyone else really bored of all those stats now? Like, oh, no I kind of love it. I just mean like the Hamilton. I love it, but I'm also winning like, everything. Yeah, is, is boring now. Well, I thought that's why it was worth talking about the ones that he probably won't get. Yeah, good shout. Because Sky Sports don't do that. No, they should. I want it. I'll, I'll tell Carew. <laughs> just give him a shout. Yeah. Um, with, with that, you know, first name basis now, so. For sure, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, what noise does a goat make? <clears throat> Bottom of my tires are gone. <laughs> <laughs> that was the only pre-organized joke that we've ever done on this podcast, <laughs> just so you know. And I hate myself for being privy to it, but. <laughs> and Matt wrote it in our, in our little, in our notes about 10 minutes ago, and I hadn't seen it until just now. So <laughs> he's like, please let me tell the joke. <laughs> so it didn't fit, and that's why we don't plan these things. Um, let's finish then with our drivers of the season. Um, now we've gone through them all. So there were 23 of them. Matt, um, who was your driver of 2020? I know which one you're going to say, so I'm not going to say the obvious answer. Well, it wasn't Sebastian Vettel, no matter what happens. So if you said that, <laughs> no, I can't. I can't. It out. <laughs> I'm taking a, I'm taking a note from Christian Horner's notebook, and I'm taking the emotion out of it. Uh, I think it's got to be Checo. Okay. Just utter and complete consistency. Uh, Charles is no longer Mister Consistency. It has to go to Checo, mm-hmm. and the storyline of the season, the first win, secure Grand Prix. It just it has to be Checo for me. It's just okay. a, tr- a story of triumph and success. And, and who was your team of the season? I'm not going to say based on what. I'm just going to give you that. McLaren. Okay, cool. Based on progress, I'm assuming. Progress, results, likability, all of it. Okay. And Callum, driver of the season, please, sir. Fittipaldi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. See you later, guys. Callum's broken. <laughs> 
No, I'm joking. It we was broke him. He's gone rogue. <laughs> Mr. Max Verstappen. Really? Yeah, he was incredible. I know five DNFs, a few mistakes here and there, but he took it as close as he could to Mercedes this year. I thought he did an incredible job. I love him. He's great. He's, he's a future world champion. I thought he was driver of the season. Team of the season, I'm agreeing with Matt. It was McLaren. They were fantastic as well. Consistent, improving all the time. I think next year with the Mercedes engine, they will be getting on podiums regularly and even winning races. Max is going to start watching those mirrors next year. Yeah, He does, yeah, finally. Someone's going to actually catch up to Mercedes and Red Bull. I really want to say Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes, um, but I'm actually going to say Gasly was my driver of 2020. I Stop think, the presses. What? Yeah, I think when I look back on every race, if you look at the driver who's pushing and driving the balls off every car, every lap, it was Gasly. Um, and when you look back on most of the race results, it was like, wow, Gasly did that. And to be fair to him, he impressed me most this season. So he's getting the driver of the season for me. But I'm still going to give Mercedes the team of the season. What they do there is, it is. unbelievable. You, God. It is. Um, well, to take an emotion out of it, you know, facts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, McLaren were McLaren were good. Red Bull weren't as good as they should have been, but you know it's it's got to be Mercedes. I think to be that far ahead is just insane. So well done to Mercedes; they got the Ollie Ollie Award. I'm sure Toto is going to uh, celebrate that. Yeah, if you go to Brackley next uh, next week, you'll see it in their trophy collection. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing, right? Any final thoughts on the drivers and teams of 2020, guys? Do I have permission to be a little bit cheesy and emotional? Yeah, of course you do. That's no. what we're here for. <laughs> Cal said, no. Holly said, uh, yeah, please. Ferrari had a really great send-off for Seb, but I think the most touching moment of the entire season for me was either A, uh, Lewis Hamilton receiving Michael Schumacher's helmet. Mm-hmm. That, that got me. But have you all seen the video McLaren sent to Ferrari about how they're going to take care of Carlos Sainz and embrace him and treat him as one of their own and like giving respect to Ferrari. No, I haven't seen that. So there was a video published once at the end of the season uh, about Carlos Sainz going to McLaren. The entire power structure of McLaren, you know, even Zach Br- Zach Brown trying to speak Italian is the greatest thing of the season. <laughs> it's hysterical. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, the movie Inglorious Bastards with a Giorno. <laughs> but yeah. they basically said, you know, we're rivals, we're fierce competitors, but we welcome Carlos Sainz with open arms. We will take care of him. And it just, I don't know why, it it hit me. And it was just a classy move and really reminds you about how close-knit the F1 world and community is. And it was it was, it was was awesome. Okay. Actually, since, since you've gone for emotional driver moments um, and team moments, I'm going to say Seb kneeling down next to Hamilton when he um, got his seventh title. I thought that yeah. was pretty touching. But actually what I thought was more touching is, is again, related to Vettel. What's going on with me? I'm falling apart. Um, yes. It was, <laughs> it was Leclerc. Sorry, no, it wasn't. It was Vettel talking about how Leclerc is an incredible driver and completely uh, wiped the floor with him this year. I, I don't know what's happened to Vettel, but he's suddenly got emotional and it's, um, it's had an effect on me. Did you see the inscription he left on his helmet to Charles? Yes. I, it just, 
I I kind of like non-robot Seb. Farmer, you mean? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Callum, I know that this is not going to be emotional whatsoever. <laughs> For me, it is. So oh. appreciate this. My my most touching moment was when Albon got demoted yesterday and Max actually said, there will be more of a challenge next year to me. I thought that was a really touching tribute from Max to Alex. I thought that was lovely. Wait, 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 wait. He said there will be more of a challenge to me next year. That was a loose quote, you know, along those lines. That makes it sounds like you're, you're dog crap, mate. I need somebody that can drive with me is how I interpreted it. Max kicked him in the face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For those that didn't get Can's really dry sense of humor there. I missed it for a so moment. So did I. Now I missed it for a minute because he, because he even confirmed that he was going to be emotional and then he wasn't. It threw me. God, it's like Max Verstappen off the top rope just elbowing Albon in the heart. He dropped the people's elbow. That's what he did. Jeez. <laughs> Piss off. Give me somebody that can drive. Yeah. <laughs> now we can take the challenge. Now now he's gone. We can actually start working is what he said. But I can fully just... imagine that Max was emotional when he said that. And it makes me emotional. Yeah, happy. he was pissed. in the wrong way. <laughs> Max for stepping tweets out. It's about flipping time. Max yeah, had some emotion. Emotional... I gave you emotion. <laughs> Max has had emotional moments this year. Now we think about it. He was emotional in... It keeps coming up, doesn't it? Portugal when uh, Lance Stroll took him off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's had some emotional moments. Maybe we'll do a compilation video of Max, sorry, Matt and the vape, and then, um, <laughs> <laughs> oops. Um, but yeah, no, great season, really enjoyed it. Next week, we're going to come back with, um, we're going to go through the races, how about that? Yeah, mm-hmm. good luck trying to watch them all before next Sunday. No, trust me, I've got F1 TV, brother, and I know how to annoy my fiance, so I will be doing that. <laughs> he excels at that. <laughs> yeah. So if I'm here next week, then we will be yeah, reviewing this. If she allows if. you to be that here next week. Drunk if. I don't think we'll see Ollie ever again. <laughs> Never mind on the podcast. Just Signing off for the Full last stop. time on life. Ollie Guys, Jones. it was lovely knowing you. But uh, maybe, <laughs> worst comes to worst, I'll just watch the highlights of each one. Um... But as a podcast panel, you have to do the same in preparation. So good luck to you all. Merry Christmas. I'm now scrambling to see if I still have my notebook full of race notes. Well, thank you very much for joining me today, guys. And, uh, you know, thanks to Karoon and also the Formula Model Shop uh, for a great day yesterday. Thank you for having us. If you don't follow us on the socials, make sure you do. We are Formula Nerds on everything that we need to be. Um, So Formula Nerds. Formula nerds. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Um, Cal, you had your hand up? Yeah, I just want to say the Formula Model Shop is any F1 fan's paradise. It's amazing. You need to get yourselves down there. But if you can't get down there, because obviously Brackley is quite a long way away from where we were yesterday, Ollie, formulamodelshop.co.uk. They do amazing memorabilia models merch, everything you would need as an F1 fan. So please, please, please get yourselves over there and buy something because they're an amazing little shop. Family run as well, which is incredible to see. And the guy's so generous. He bought a £15,000 simulator and he lets kids walk into his shop and play with it for free. That's so that's just... Is it, is it only children incredible. or can 31-year-old nerds just show up and... Yeah, yeah anyone. 
anyone. <laughs> and that's where I'm off to now. <laughs> because my fiance is going to kick my ass. So, um, yes, uh, thank you very much. It was, it was a great day. And, and they are, like you said, Cal, a family, a bit like us, um, who just do it for the passion. So it was, it was really nice. And thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me. Thank you to everybody that listens. We cannot tell you how much we appreciate your support. Uh, if you're not a member of the Cut to the Race podcast group and you want to have your opinion heard and get some feedback and maybe even some FaceTime with us, pop in. We'd love to have you. And from all of us here at the Formula Nerds family, we want to wish you and all of yours a happy holidays. And we will see you again next week. We will. Anything to add, Callum? I can't remember if you said you were out or not. Bye. <laughs> no emotion. <laughs> Merry Christmas. We'll be back after after Christmas with um, the races of 2020. Thank you. Good night. We out.